Today, we're having a virtual coffee and chat with Mike Murchison. Mike is the CEO of Ada, a startup focused on delivering first-rate customer experiences. Through automated interactions, Ada helps companies offer great support to their clients. It's a great episode. You're going to enjoy it. We've just pivoted this company into this whole new space. We haven't written a single line of code. And like all our friends and family are like, what are you doing? You're working like insane hours all time for, for seven different companies of what is going on. Hey Mike, thank you for sitting down with us today. I'm super excited to have you on the Sit Down Startup Podcast to get to know a little bit more about your background and your journey and also what you're building at Ada now. So every guest that we have on our show, we like to start asking what is your favorite coffee shop drink? That's a great question. Probably a Americana with a little bit of milk. Okay. I don't. Yeah. I just like the. I. I. I don't. I like the. Um, that's my go-to. I get almost you know every other morning on the dog walk, and uh, I don't. I. I, I like up the milk because I guess Americanas on their own I find a little bit too bitter. Yeah. Not enough of a coffee, a coffee snob to have a pure Americano, I guess. <laughs> what about your milk? Are you traditional milk or you have your snobbish a little bit, almond milk, oat no, milk? No, no, I, I, I like real dairy. I, okay. I like real dairy, I, I will admit. <laughs> yeah. I feel you. I like an Americano too. Usually I drink my coffee black straight. Sometimes I'll add uh, oat milk or something. I not, I'm not really good with dairy, so I'll be a little bit snobbish on the milk. But on the coffee, I like it. Strong. Oh, you're, you're allowed to. You're allowed to have coffee black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because in Brazil we do like uh, shorter uh, coffee, very strong. And here in the US, uh, in Brazil we call uh, tea coffee, which is more like a tea uh, on the size of a coffee. But I got used to that, and I like to walk around having a cup of coffee to you know to go. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, I wish I can get you a coffee soon when we got get a chance to meet in person. I know it'd be nice to do this on a on a physical terrace and not a not a digital one, but here we are. Yeah. <laughs> here we are making the best out of that. Hopefully, we're seeing yeah. the light at the end of the tunnel, and all of this is gonna be over soon. But Mike, uh, I was got a chance to uh, I I know Ada for a couple of years now. You've been a great partner at Zendesk. I got to meet a lot of our team members on events that we uh, organize. Uh, and when I was doing a little bit of research about yourself, I noticed that Ada is not your first company, right? You funded a couple of companies in the past before getting to Ada. Can you walk us a little bit more about your background and how you decided that you want to be an entrepreneur? Sure. Yeah, happy to. So I, you're right. I started a few different companies. Um, I think I fell in love with... Uh, starting companies at a pretty young age. And I think the, the reason I, I did is because I, I just, I'm fundamentally most motivated by learning. And I, and I think I realized for me at least that there's a relationship between sort of the difficulty of a task and the afforded learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so I, I became pretty obsessed with doing really hard things so I could learn a lot. And I couldn't think of anything really harder to do for, for me than to, to will a company into existence with a bunch of other people. And so over the years, I guess starting like before college even, I, I, I started a variety of different ventures. Um, all of them were really hard. Almost very few of them actually succeeded. One or two of them did. Most of them failed. 
but I learned a ton about software, about so the the world's relationship with software, and I think like, most importantly, my relationship with myself. I've learned a lot. There's so much personal growth that has come for me over the course of building a variety of different companies. And about uh, six or seven years ago, I started a, a another company that was uh, really focused on the future of, of search on the internet. I was very fascinated about how humans would search in an era where the web had evolved from being about websites to being about people. And I was very interested in sort of reimagining what Google search would look like in the era of, of a people-based internet. And I, I, along with my co-founder, started a, a company called Wally that it, at one point was growing very quickly. And as Zendesk knows very well, when a company is going very quickly, it tends to encounter customer service problems. Right. So I encountered a customer service problem firsthand where I couldn't scale our customer service operations in line with our user growth. And that really, really bothered me because anything that I've ever worked on that's been remotely valuable has come from a really tight feedback loop between mm-hmm. my customers and my product and engineering teams. Really everyone in the team. It's that right. delightful experience where you almost bestow ownership of your product onto your customers. They feel like the coffee shop is theirs, right? right? That this coffee is, is, is Pedro's coffee, it's Mike's coffee. They, they, you know, they know you, you, and you know this is your coffee shop. That's how much you, you love the, the, the company. Um, and that, that sort of feeling of, of ownership was really breaking down as we were scaling. We started to see, I started to witness our team treat our customers as, as people who we knew well mm-hmm. to uh, numbers that we didn't know to numbers that we tried to keep at bay to reduce. And that got me very interested in how businesses scale their communication with their customer base as they get bigger. And ultimately led uh, on a long journey and uh, that led to uh, starting data. That's super interesting. And I was looking on, on your website and last year, more than 1.5 billion customer interactions happened with ADA technology, right? So when you told me that on your previous company, you were investing in search on the web and you encountered a lot of frictions on the customer service part in terms of scaling, and that led you to start investigating more on that front, and then ADA came to life. Can you walk me through a little bit more in details when you realized that that was an opportunity that was missing in the market that you could build a software to solve it? Yeah, sure, happy to. So what was happening was, you know, as I mentioned, we saw we, we, we saw ourselves pursuing the conventional customer service playbook of essentially speaking to your customers less as your business gets bigger. Right. And and we became very interested in in we were first of all perplexed by that. Uh, I was very curious about why we would talk to our customers less as we got bigger. I figured that talking to our customers more would be more valuable to us the bigger we mm-hmm. got because the you know, the, the, the value of that data is greater to the organization the bigger you are. And um, there's probably more to learn from that data the more data there is. And I, I just became very, very curious about that. I spent a lot of time um, as a result studying the customer service software landscape. Um, I used you know, virtually every product in market and, uh, and everything from the, you know, the very SMB 
software that people will use you know, often before they graduate to uh, using and loving Zendesk mm-hmm. to you know, much more legacy old school customer service software in the contact center, even in the on-prem contact center space. And what I, what I observed was that um, a lot of this software, not all of it, but a lot of it is, 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 is designed to help you speak to your customers less, not more. And so what, what, what happened was I, I picked up the phone and I spoke to, I cold called as many VPs of customer experience as I could get my hands on. And I asked them, hey, you know, how are you scaling your customer communication? How are you thinking about speaking to your customers more, not less, as your business continues to scale? And virtually everyone laughed at me. They there's the same there's like this like little chuckle that they went, haha, like, I wish we could do that. I know I know what you're getting at, and we're not doing that today. And when I when I heard that probably the the tenth time in a row, I felt a lot of conviction around um, the opportunity to learn more about that problem and potentially try to solve it. And so what I what I did is we made the very typical decision, my co-founder and I, to, to pivot our whole company out of the social search space and go into the customer experience world. And we went back to those those ten VPs of customer experience and we asked them if we could join their teams. Oh. And seven of them said yes. So you actually and joined the team to be part of the organization, answering tickets and be part of the customer support. That's right. We were wow. we were we were agents for seven different customer service teams, wow. actually at the same time. Um, wow. And so we, we just lived and breathed customer service, uh, you know, inside out. And we became very familiar um, with the agent experience of providing customer support at scale. And I'd say we, we learned, and by the way, as an aside here, like uh, from a founder journey perspective, you know, this was definitely the low point of my entrepreneurial career. <laughs> and we just pivoted this company into this whole new space. We haven't written a single line of code. And my, all our friends and family are like, what are you doing? You know, you're, 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 you're working like insane hours all time for, a com- for seven different companies of what is going on. And it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty hard, to be honest. What we learned, though, was, was invaluable. We learned, first of all, that 30% or more of the tickets that we were responding to were repetitive and mundane. Mm-hmm. In some cases, upwards of 80% were, depending on the, the vertical that the, the company was, was working in. And that was pretty surprising, right? Because we assumed that when we showed up on our first day of work, like most people, I think, assume this, it takes a little while to ramp mm-hmm. and like, actually become productive. And we were very productive often on day one. That's how simple um, many of these queries were. Two, we learned that um, that the the agent experience of responding to uh, to customers customer inquiries inside a lot of this incumbent software, not not Zendesk, but a lot of the Zendesk competitors, the other more legacy software in this space, is highly negative. Like no one. No one was waking up with this legacy enterprise software going, I can't wait to spend more time in this product. It was, it was demoralizing. Right. And, you know, the, 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 I think, it, by the way, one of the biggest gifts that Zendesk has provided the customer service world is just like an actual cr- focus on craft. Um, but that was absent in much of the software we were using. And 
it, it frankly just really bothered us. Like we, I couldn't, I, I'm so motivated to build delightful, simple, easy to use software that it, I just find it so demoralizing when you use software that's not that. Right. And I really revel in like the intellectual challenge of turning something complicated into something simple. And that was just not even remotely on display with the software that we were being forced to use every day. And so it, it bothered me. I, I also kind of wondered why. And, and you know, one of the reasons um, was that the people who were using the software, my colleagues and I, weren't the people who were buying the software. Yeah. And so there was a disconnect. So that's, that's very interesting, right? Because a, a lot of the mistakes that I see founders doing when building a product is that it's so, it's so easy to get excited about something that you're building, the line of code and being on that funnel, right? That you're creating and you're seeing that taking place. But most of the time, you're not a user of that product. So how are you, how are you prioritizing the features or areas that you need to build do you really understand the pain point? Do what are you solving, right? There's so many software out there that is like kind of a vitamin, right? Mm -hmm. Versus That's a remedy. Right. And the reason that most of that happen is that folks have an idea, talking with people, very superficial. I can call, maybe I can call. And then I hire some developers and I build an MVP and go in the market and you have a lot of, no, have zero traction, right? And I, mm -hmm. what I really like on your approach is that Oh, I like this space, but I'm not, I don't operate on this space as a, as a, as a user of the software. Let me go. Even though you told me that was on the lowest point of your career, very stressful doing eight different jobs, doing customer service, which is a highly stressful job, handling a lot of time rejection and things like that. You were able to put yourself on their shoes in different points of view from different companies that could operate in different industry to then come into a more uh, solid conclusion on what you need to build and maybe even the, the features that you should be prioritized when you're building your software. That's exactly right. You know, we, that's exactly right. I think that you know, there were a couple observations for me that I was quite opinionated about going into in what became ADA that, that I learned, I think, the hard way. The mistake that I, one of the mistakes I made in, in the past was that I assumed that software is inherently valuable. Like, and I think that you know, the way we approached Ada was we actually went, entered this with the expectation that software is not inherently valuable. It actually, it's only valuable to the extent to which it, it scales or replicates some manual process that exists in the real world. The extent to which you can understand that manual process allows you, like you're saying, to build better software. Right. And so when we when we saw that you know in addition to the you know the the you know our colleagues not being really happy with the software the legacy software that they were in, we also saw that our colleagues really wanted to talk to their customers like they were talking to their friends, mm -hmm. and they were very they were very frustrated by the fact that the businesses they worked for didn't allow that. They were they they were being forced to speak to their customers the way they spoke to their grandparents. Right. which is on, you know, on the landline usually. Right. And they wanted to, they knew the better experience was to talk to their, their, their customers, just like they spoke to their friends on WhatsApp and on Facebook Messenger and SMS. And, and so it was really clear there was demand to do that, uh, but the strategy didn't support it. And that's really what gave us a lot of conviction that there may be an opportunity here for, for us to help. And what, what ended up happening was, 
you know, we fought the temptation to write a single line of code, like you're saying, the, the vitamin versus medicine, and we just manually became amongst the most productive agents on each one of these teams. And we saw some really interesting results. We saw that churn went down. It turns out if you respond to customers more quickly, they like your business more, they're less likely to leave. Right. Not exactly profound insight. And what we did learn, though, secondly, was that agent attrition went down. Our colleagues like their jobs more because their roles became far more challenging and intellectually stimulating and revenue generating. They started handling much more complicated conversations and fewer repetitive and mundane ones. And that, that led to a higher job satisfaction, which is a big deal because, as we know, right. in, in the enterprise, you know, the average turnover is, is typically about 45% in customer service. And it's usually the highest in the enterprise. And then the third thing we, we observe is that this, this data, these conversations were really valuable. And few of the companies that we were working for actually recognized that. There were really valuable sales opportunities, product insights, um, strategic information that really should have been bubbled up to leadership, but was you know, siloed in, in one department that, you know, in some database that no one even knew where, where it existed. And that, that really gave us conviction that further conviction that there was an opportunity here. And to your point, we were feeling in so much pain trying to manually do this to provide this value that our software solution really became medicine. It actually put us out of our misery because it was that painful. And the product that we ended up building became so clear because of how, pain, how painful um, this, this experience was. And so the roadmap initially sort of wrote itself you know, and what, as you put it, you know, it started as sort of a basic product that automated about 25% of, of conversations in a no-code manner because our colleagues were all non-technical. We knew we needed to enable them to, to improve the customer experience. Uh, has since grown in the last four years to um, a, an enterprise-grade automation platform that automates 80% uh, plus of all conversations, and in the last year has automated more than a billion and a half interactions for some of the fastest growing companies in the world. That's fascinating. It's so interesting to get behind the scenes of how you ended up building Ada in your experience. So being on the shoes of your customers and using that to create a very tight feedback loop to be able to build a product that people adopt. And fast forward now, you have this amazing, amazing traction, you're growing more your user base, super interesting. And when, you, when you're talking about automations, right, for the customer experience team, can you walk me through a little bit how easy it is to include ADA on your tech stack, right? Because a lot of the times, one of the dependencies that those teams have, they don't have a lot of technical support to build deeper technology, right? And now more and more of softwares are building, softwares are low-code requirements for business teams that are not developers to adopt more technology to improve their day-to-day. -day. So right. how, how easy it is to bring data to your customer support team and how easy it is to implement the tool? Very easy. And that's one of the things that we, we focus so much on because, again, in the early days... Um, we were building this for our colleagues and enabling our non-technical colleagues. So it, it is entirely no-code. Um, you can get up and running without contacting your engineering team. And you can automate 30% of all your customer interactions in 30 days or less, all on your own. Um, 
you know, part of the reason that works so well if, if you're using Zendesk is because of our really tight partnership and integration with Zendesk. We work really hard together between both our teams to make sure that that's a really seamless experience and that, um, that it, it's a delightful one for, for you as a business and for your customers. Yeah, that's phenomenal. In terms of our partnerships, right, it's so good to see the Sasway story that you build on top of the platform of Zendesk. If I'm not mistaken, you are the first and only unicorn that is built on top of Zendesk with your latest funding round. So it's huge congrats on that. Not only on that, but nailing customers like Zoom, MailChimp, Shopify, that's that's not, uh, it's very hard, right? To go from like getting that big organizations of that size to using your technology. So huge congrats on doing that and nailing down the partnership of Zendesk. So for other, founders that are choosing a platform to build on top of or build that partnership. What is your biggest learning of working with Zendesk? I think that one of the things that, you know, has made our partnership so successful, I think is, is, uh, a, a common ethos. Mm -hmm. We both believe in incredible, in, in, in making an incredible customer experience. And, you know, I think we're, we're, we're both, um, the pain that I felt as an agent uh, inside some of the legacy software is also uh, the pain that the Zendesk team from the top down has also felt and is reacting to. So I think common cultural alignment between uh, yourself and, and Zendesk, and really any partner, I think is really, really important to, to success. Um, and then I think you know, the second thing that's related, if you have that cultural alignment, is a, a common obsession around driving results for shared customers. Ultimately, this is about improving the customer experience and making shared clients super happy. They should know why one plus one equals three and not two when, um, when you're working with, with Zendesk and, and you as a, as a partner. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's a really good tip. Uh, we're getting more and more uh, folks building additional technology on top of our platform, right? Because when we first identify the problem in the customer experience space, there's so much that needs to be built yet. Uh, I had a missed opportunity to be two hours on the phone talking to our airline company a couple a couple weeks ago. And you say how, for, for me, it was one of the worst experiences of that, that day. It makes my whole day very shitty because it was so frustrating. And then on the other day, I had to talk with a bank that was also very frustrating because I had to confirm my ID three times when they moved me to four different departments. So yep. there's yeah. a lot that needs to be built yeah, to improve those relationships because they impact our lives so much. It's so frustrating and gives that anxiety and like bad taste on your mouth that for me it was, a, even though I know it's not a problem of the agent itself, but for the brand, I, I don't want to bank my money with you anymore, right? I don't want to buy or uh, I don't want to travel with you because when the time has come that I need your help, you are so focused on optimizing for me to buy that you're not optimizing for me to serve me after I became a customer. Right. Yeah. These days, it's no. so easy to click and buy, but when you need help, not everybody, if that part of the business didn't evolve so much. Totally agree. I think it, you, you can contrast that, that travel experience or banking experience you, you had with you know, this wonderful coffee shop experience that we're having right, right now, where you, know, you only need to go to this coffee shop two, three times mm -hmm. for the barista to know your name, know your favorite order, 
that probably know a thing or two about you. That right. you know, you're originally from Brazil, that you recently moved to LA. You know, they they know um, that there's a level of personalization that comes mm-hmm. from very little data, we could say. And that's right. that's sort of the magic of small business and the magic of a of a customer experience um, at a small scale. And the question for me is like, why is that so different when you go across the street to the bank and you walk into the bank mm-hmm. who you've banked with for 30 years and, and they don't even know who you are? Like, let alone let alone know that, like, you know, you, you like recently moved to L.A. Like, they yeah. don't know who you are. They've known you in theory for 30 years and they actually don't want to talk to you. Right. And that I think is the that is the opportunity for automation, in my opinion. It is, it is, it is to democratize the coffee shop experience so that uh, you can have, you are treated, you should be treated better at the bank than you are at the coffee shop and you're not today. Exactly. And yeah. I would love to hear your thoughts too as if on the personal level, as people progress in their careers, they tend to take leadership position and start getting far away from customer interaction. And it's not because they sometimes it's because they also don't want to be doing the customer interaction. So it's very something very curious that I would like to see your thoughts on this because people tend to progress in the career, become director of VPs, and they're getting so far apart from their customers that becomes so risky, right, for the business because now you're relying on this layers of layers of communication from your employees to understand what's going on or not, right? And if you don't have the right data, it's also risky. So on your search to understand why companies are talking less to their customers, you had a chance to understand a little bit more of the personal behavior of leaders that led them to not talk to customers or they grow on their career? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, I think that there's a few different things at play there. You know, one is a cultural phenomenon. And the other, I think, is a technological one. On the cultural side, I think there's there's something about does your organization value what 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 is in, in the like what is your val what is your customer about what is your organization value most? Mm-hmm. You know, for I think a lot of companies say that they value you know they put their customers first. Very few actually do. Right. Um, so there's a do you live your values sort of cultural question that I think is important. If you really do put your customers first, you will see leaders in companies. Putting the customer first, booking meetings with customers, meeting with customers, prioritizing a customer meeting over another internal meeting. Those are the ways I think that, that you, you, the behaviors that reflect that value. And secondly, as I mentioned, there's a technological component here too, which is it, there's difficulty with often in a company actually getting close to, a, to customer data. And, you know, this is a problem that Zendesk and Ada's partnership, I think, is, is actually helping solve in many ways. But in many companies, it's still, um, who, who don't use that, you know, it is, it is very much difficult. It, it's, it's, very, it's very difficult to actually uh, get close to customer data um, and to use that data to inform your decision making. And so... I think both those things, if you're going to be successful and build a customer-focused, customer-experience-obsessed organization, both the culture and the technology need to be solved. But those are two, you can't solve one, you're not going to be successful if you only focus on one of those things. Yeah, I completely agree. On our team, we started offering uh, onboarding calls for every new 
companies that join the startup program and it's something that we've been doing across everybody on our team. So we do some round robbing because it's so it's so important those conversations and write a batch to understand uh, why they're looking for a solution, their pain points, because that inform a lot from us on terms of the, expect, the perspective that they have on the product, which not always match the marketing language and the message that you put on the market. And also mm-hmm. for us to understand pain points on our existing operations that we need to fix to provide a better experience from the get-go. And it's been very helpful for all of us and we've been able to track. And he used it as a way for causing a little, a little bit of competition who takes more calls too. So get everybody excited and it's being very helpful and it's good to eat our own dog food. Uh, that's what we say a lot of the times, right? Like we, we've been building as customer uh, products for customer experience uh, space. Uh, we need to live and breathe our values and be customer first across every single team that we can. And I think, and, I think there's a humility yeah. that's required to do that well. And it gets harder the more successful you become because, you know, the, the more the more successful you, you become, the, the more I think the, the feedback from customers becomes threatening. And I, I think one of the things that is so critical is to sort of fight that, um, fight the ego is what I think it comes down to and approach this feedback, crave the feedback, uh, approach it with with real humility and curiosity. Um, I think that's how, in my opinion, at least inside Ada, that that's one of the things that's so so important to uh, to you know, how we think about you know, our long term success. Right, I, I I agree on that, and it's what gets me a little bit confused. Yeah, is that the people that are more experienced, the ones that could do the best for the customer, they're the one far away. From yeah. This, right? Yeah. Right. So, like, it's how does that right. make sense, right? Yeah. Like, how does that make sense? And then, it, usually, those entry level jobs are the one customer facing. Mm-hmm. Still, very questionable to understand. I understand that is a very, very. There's a lot of heavy lifts on that, but is it worth having the person that has most experience with more ability to solve problems just internal facing? That's a question that I have that uh, haven't ha- I don't have an answer yet. As I progress in my career, I'm trying to get more and more understanding of why the business is structured that way and what is the value and how other ways can, when, especially when you build your company from scratch, how can you test new hypotheses to change that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes, makes total sense. I think that's a, yep, that's a, I think that's a great question. So, Mike, uh, we are getting to the end of this coffee shop, so I have to ask you one question. What is the thing that makes you more excited about Ada in the next year or so? Wow, that's a great question. You know, we're, our team is growing so much, and, and we're such a, a distributed and international team now that I'm, just, I'm so excited about the new folks that are, are, uh, are joining us. Nice. I'm also really excited to see how our mission of making automation easy for everyone manifests the more and more complicated our automation becomes. So I mentioned that intellectual challenge of turning the, the complicated into the simple being something that I, I really I really love. That's reaching new heights as Ada's automation becomes even, even more advanced uh, and we become even more well-resourced and focused on making it easy to use. So uh, both those things are, are, are things I'm looking forward to. Awesome. So if you're listening and you're looking to join a very exciting company, go on the careers page on Ada website. So I, I assume you all are hiring across different positions 
uh, and all over the world. Uh, remote they are. ADA.CX. ADA.CX is our URL. Awesome. And to close it up, I have some quick questions for you to answer yeah. with like top of your mind. Don't, don't think too much. Okay. The first one is that what is your favorite book? I love, this is a little bit of orthodox, but I love mm -hmm. uh, Joseph Campbell. And, he, you know, he, he's just taught me a lot about, um, frankly, just how I think about integrating entrepreneurship into my life. And uh, I'd highly recommend any of his books to, to any founder. He's probably had uh, a much bigger impact on my thinking uh, about business and entrepreneurship than you know, any of the business books that I'm, I know we've all, we've all read. That's awesome. That's a really good tip. And when you are on the shoes of your customers or any, in a customer's shoes and you want to connect with a company for customer service help, what is your go-to channel? Oh, very interesting. Do you call, do you call yeah. first? Do you go on email I, first? I, mess, what is, I, I always message first. And I, um, that's another area that I'm excited about the future of Ada and, and, uh, and, and Zendesk together is our, our messaging collaborations. Yeah. I mean, uh, live chat was something that happened. I mean, it's very new, right? Five, six, seven years. Uh, mm -hmm. Being able to message a company on the tool that I use every day makes so much easier so I don't have to like that chat disappears so uh, integrating that customer experience on WhatsApp Facebook Messenger is definitely the way to go across every demographic and also region in the world um, and if you could invite anyone for a dinner party who would you invite and why? Oh that's a great question I'd probably invite Chloe Zhao, who just won the, you know, the uh, Oscar for Best Director. Mm -hmm. um, I think her films are just like com completely fascinating. If you haven't watched Nomadland or her, her first film, actually, I'd recommend. Mm -hmm. her, she's three films right now. Right. Um, she's just remarkable in that she, the actors in her in her in her movies are often not acting, okay. um, and so she's she's. She's an example of a leader who's figured out how to make people so comfortable mm -hmm. um, and have them be at their best. Right. And I think there's a lot to learn from her um, when you watch her movies. And I, I've, so, I've like just, she's top of my list. Of people. I have a million questions I'd love to ask her and hopefully meet her one day. That's awesome. I haven't watched uh, Nomadland yet. Uh, definitely. Uh, now I have another reason to uh, put it on my uh, weekend to-do list. Hey, Mike, uh, thank you so much. It was great getting to meet you more and learning the journey that you did so far in your life and building Ada and what's coming next. So super excited to see our partnership evolve and following up all the great things that you, you and your team are doing. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Likewise. Thanks for having me.